0: Today's reading, letter of Paul, second letter to Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me keep us a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thank you so much for reading, Charles, and let me add my warm welcome uh, to Richards here this morning. It's, it's the sun is shining, it's a great day. Um, yeah, I hope the passage is going to really refresh us this morning. Well, being a Christian leader can feel shameful, can't it? Let me say that again: Being a Christian leader can feel shameful. It can feel shameful when what what you're preaching from the pulpit is completely at odds with what the world is teaching around you. It can feel shameful when you're being called irrelevant, when you're being called a bigot. It's 2024, get with the times. It can feel shameful when you're being cut out, ostracized, when you feel like no one else wants much to do with you. So get me wrong, when when the Bible says that um, Christian leaders have the most noble task, I, I really believe that from the bottom of my heart. When the gospel is so glorious, it rings deep in my heart. But these are dark days for the gospel. Being a Christian leader can feel shameful. It can be difficult. And just being a Christian can feel shameful also. Being a Christian can feel shameful when we attempt to share the gospel with others. Uh, It can feel shameful when we're the odd one out at school um, and it feels like we're the opposite of being cool. Whether you're a preacher or a school teacher or anything else, how are we to carry on, especially when there's so much shame attached to the gospel? What's stopping us from abandoning the gospel when it's so difficult? What should we do when it's difficult to keep going? Well, we're travelling back to the first century uh, here this morning to hear the Apostle Paul's answer in our Bible text this morning that was read out by Charles and so, As Richard said, it's the first of our four-part series in 2 Timothy. And look, I'm really excited about this um, particular uh, series as well because I think it's going to help us remember the truth in times of difficulty. And it's, it's a lifelong thing to, to remember. And the Apostle Paul is, is, is writing to Timothy, who's been his faithful co-worker for about 15 years so Paul sent, his, sent Timothy to the, uh, to the Corinthian church when they needed to be straightened out. Paul sent Timothy to the Ephesian church when they needed leaders appointed. When Paul sent Timothy to the Philippian church, he said this, I have no one else like him. Timothy was Paul's tried, tested, trustworthy number two. But Paul and Timothy, like us, are living through dark days for the gospel. Firstly, because there's a rising tide of hostility and persecution from the world. Paul himself is in prison and he's waiting for the death sentence. He's reached the end of his days. Associating with Paul was so dangerous that a number of his colleagues had already deserted him so what's what's stopping Timothy from doing the same so what does Paul say Timothy should do when it's difficult to keep going well you'll see from your handouts here this morning that we're going to be tracing the text in two main steps firstly the commands and secondly the motivation so what does Paul say to Timothy when it's difficult to keep going Paul says, point one, fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Let's take a look at verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, the For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, Even though Timothy might be daunted by the task at hand, Paul reminds him that he is fully equipped for it. As he expresses thanks to God at the beginning, he uses three words in three verses, each beginning with the letter R, to give Timothy confidence. Verse 3, Paul constantly remembers Timothy in his prayers. Verse 4, Paul recalls Timothy's tears, longing to be with him. And verse 5, Paul is reminded not only of Timothy's sincere faith, but also his grandmother Lois's and mother Eunice's. Paul gives Timothy every reason, every resource, and every confidence to continue his work. But Paul really lands his point in verse 6. For this reason, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands." at least once or twice a year. We stay at my in-laws, and they're here this morning, actually, in, in Northern Ireland, Newtonards, um, just on the coast, about 10 miles east of Belfast. And it's Northern Ireland, so it's uh, forever freezing, and there's always a need to light up the fire. But it just struck me how often uh, the flames dwindled, actually, in the, in the fire, and how I needed to keep adding more wood to keep the fire burning. Now, the shame and suffering associated with the gospel is enough to dampen the brightest of flames. So Paul tells Timothy the nature to nurture the gospel fire within him. He needs to fan into flame the gift of God. And by this, Paul seems to be referring to what he mentions in his earlier letter, 1 Timothy chapter four, where he told Timothy, until I come, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy had a particular gift of teaching the word of God and Paul's encouraging him to keep using it. And one, one way of doing that is itself to keep using it. Now, a few years ago, I was on um, a summer camp uh, that I help on, and the overall leader of that camp realised that the team of leaders were were becoming more and more uh, young, they were becoming younger and more inexperienced. So he wrote to a number of um, kind of older uh, uh, people, uh, perhaps ones that had helped out in the past um, when they were a little bit younger, and he kind of had a call for action and the few that responded to the call ended up being a great sport support to the life and work and the discipleship of these young individuals on this camp. But you know what? It was a great help to those returning leaders also. As they took the plunge of leading Bible studies again and trying to share the gospel with teenagers, they rekindled something of the gospel fire in themselves – which they could, they, they could have said that had an, an effect on all of their Christian lives. If Timothy feels the fire is dwindling in him, he needs to step up rather than step back. What's even more interesting in this, kind of, this particular phrase is the fact that this gift of God is not only Timothy's ability to teach, but it's also his commissioning as a leader it is the ministry that he's been given. And so we, we're not all leaders here in this church, but it has implications for the congregation as well. Perhaps it's right at the start of the new year, it's right at the start of the new term, the half term, and it's a bit of a natural reset for us in gospel service. So it might be worth praying for new opportunities for us to serve, whether formal or informal, Um, so that we might be able to serve the gospel together as a congregation as Paul said in that bit that I read from 1 Timothy it's as we share the gospel teaching we are being trained in the words of faith ourselves and imagine the difference at the end of 2024 if we as a congregation were were able to fan into flame the gifts that God has given us But as well well as cultivating the courage to continue in gospel service, at the same time, it's being given to us by God himself. So there's no need to fear at all, even in the toughest of circumstances. Verse seven again. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That word spirit should be capitalised, highlighted, illuminated, whatever you want really, just to highlight what it is in verse 7, because the Holy Spirit gives us absolutely everything we need to continue in our gospel service. Firstly, he gives us the power in verse 8, and it makes us clear that this power is to endure shame and suffering for the gospel. And this work, this dynamic, um, um, this dynamic of God's work and our work has often been talked about in, in terms of like a, a biblical tension. But I wonder whether it might be better phrased as a biblical tandem. I don't know whether you've seen those before. They're kind of these two, um, you can cycle, two people can cycle on a bike at once. And we're not planning to get one, but it's a really good illustration, hopefully. As Timothy works, God works and as God works, Timothy works. As Timothy is working to cultivate gospel courage, God is at the same time conferring it by his spirit. But I think the big encouragement for Timothy here is both sides of that tandem are actually the result of God's gift. He is to fan into flame the gift of God. And he is enabled to do that. Verse 7 by the spirit that God has given to all Christians. As I've looked at this passage over the last uh, few weeks, I've realized um, it is enormously encouraging to see that God fully equips each and every one of us. Whatever the situation around us, however dark the day is, I'm comforted by the fact that I'm not relying on myself to be equipped but I know that he has given me absolutely everything I need. And knowing this gives me the confidence to to be able to press on for the rest of the year and beyond. What should we do when it's difficult to keep going? Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God. So firstly, that's the commands. But of course, we haven't addressed the question why. Why would Timothy carry on with ministry? What's the motivation? Well, Paul says, because the gospel brings life and immortality. That's our second point, because the gospel brings life and immortality. Let's pick it up from verse eight. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. His grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Paul says the reason that Timothy shouldn't be ashamed, the reason to keep persevering in ministry when it's difficult, is because the gospel brings life and immortality. Now, throughout life, um, death has remained the most pressing and perplexing human problem, the great undefeated dragon. And humans have long tried to find a cure for death Our earliest surviving story uh, is the Mesopotamian Gilgamesh epic about the hunt for a death cure. China's first emperor, Qin Shi Huang, launched an obsessive search for the elixir of life. Some Romans drank gladiators' blood and some some French nobles drank liquid gold. But sadly, the quest continues. Now, Some of us might scoff um, at this this today, but today, beating death is actually a really big business. Billionaires, scientists, entrepreneurs are racing to retire the reaper and finally put death to death. In fact, in 2013, Google actually launched the sub-company Calico with a mission to prolong life and stop death. Google Ventures now invests 38% of its $2 billion portfolio in life extension projects. Well, I guess when we think about it, Google and um, kind of gladiators' bloods are a little bit far-fetched, a little bit out of our, our region, I think. I wonder whether our Western way of trying to defeat death and make ourselves immortal is by creating some sort of legacy on Earth Immortality and legacy through our job performance, through our exam results, through owning a house. Immortality and legacy through the best education for our kids. Immortality and legacy through being a good person. All in the hope that after we die, our achievements and our investments in this life now will help us to live on, be immortal in the future. But what Paul's talking about here isn't just blind faith in some future day where death gets defeated. It's faith in a fact, the historical, real-life resurrection of Jesus where it was decisively proved that death is not the end. Chapter 1, verse 10. Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now one of the reasons why Paul is so keen to emphasise the extraordinary truth that the living God has given us the gift of life through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave is because no doubt he was under fire He was under fire, he was in chains, he was imprisoned because of these false teachers. Perhaps another reason why he's so keen to emphasise, so keen to zoom in on this truth, it must be because Paul himself is facing the executioner. He has reached the end of his days, but God has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. I bet the Apostle Paul thought about this truth every single day, when he was in chains, when he was in chains, when he was cut off from absolutely everything else in his prison cell. I wonder whether the main reason, though, that Paul thought verses nine and 10 were the best motivation for Timothy, the reason for him to pick up his pen and write, to keep going, even in the most difficult circuit of circumstances was because it's just so good, this promise. Now, we're, we're surrounded by death, aren't we? And by the fear of death, it comes for us all and it affects us all. On our way to church this morning, and every Sunday morning, we have to walk through the churchyard and pass dozens of tombs. Normally, we see ambulances, even through this sermon, we heard ambulances popping up and down the commercial road, and we hear sirens blaring people are terrified of it aren't they and they're right to be so because death is awful it's awful when you die alone in an icu ward and it's awful when you die at peace at bed at home but through the lord jesus christ god has destroyed death and brought immortality to light Jesus is alive. I want to say that again. Jesus is alive. He's not just a theological idea, something clever to say. Jesus is actually alive this morning and sat at God's right hand on high. And because of this, Paul gives Timothy a charge in the following verses. Let me, let me pick it up from verse 11 And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Here we have this example again of this biblical tension, which is really a biblical tandem. Rather than sitting back because Timothy has heard that God will guard his gospel, it will spur him all the more to play his part in guarding it. And rather than being ashamed of Paul's words... His testimony about Jesus, Timothy, is to keep, keep this as a pattern of sound words he heard from Paul. This is his blueprint. And so to mess with the message of the gospel is to, is to put yourself, your hearers, and the gospel at stake. He is to guard the good deposit. And this guarding can only be done by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us verse 7 God gave us a spirit of power verse 8 that power was to enable us to endure suffering and now verse 14 we see he empowers us to endure suffering as we play our part of guarding the good deposit of the gospel it's extraordinary isn't it that God guards the, the, the gospel by using people like you and me who with his help He empowers us to play our part in suffering to guard the gospel. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to see how how Paul spells out exactly the kind of specific strategies of how Timothy is actually going to go about doing it. But before that, as we conclude, we get two baseline examples in the final verses of what it looks like to be part of that team guarding the gospel. And we get one positive and one negative to help us decide. Firstly, the negative in verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygellus and Homogenes. Now, that's a devastating verse, isn't it? Once they appeared to stand with Paul, they used to be gospel partners, co workers, but now they've turned away. they couldn't bear the shame of associating with Paul's gospel. No longer at church, nowhere to be seen. We We may know people actually who we've served alongside us in the service of the Lord Jesus who have turned away. Perhaps it's an aspect of the truth of Paul's gospel that explains, that leads them to edge away. But I think I think maybe we're warned of these kind of instances so that we're not, completely dis, uh, we're not completely surprised or discouraged when it happens. And even though it's painful, these things won't prevent God's, God from guarding his gospel. Now, Paul leaves Timothy with a real encouragement in verses 16 and 17 as he leaves us with the positive example We see Anesiphorus' supernatural courage to stand with Paul and his offensive gospel. Even though he is hundreds of miles away from his family, he goes to stand with Paul and his gospel. And it would have been a shameful affair as he scoured the prisons in Rome. Imagine that, risking his status, risking his identity, risking his life. But when he found him, he wasn't ashamed at all to associate with Paul's chains. Imagine what sort of encouragement to Timothy that would have been. And it's an encouragement to us here today. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says this. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now life's short. There's no time for ducking behind the parapet. Now certainly not the time to be losing our way or for making the gospel um, something that was all well and good in the past, something that our parents um, really flourished in the glory days of the 20th century or before no today is the day to fan into flame the gift of God because the gospel brings life and immortality to light let me pray uh, Heavenly Father we uh, thank you so much uh, today for reminding us uh, to fan into flame the gift of God um, Father we grieve at the world and um, the frustrations around it but we praise and thank you so much that we can hold on to king jesus who has brought life and immortality to light father we pray that we would be those who whatever situation we're going through we might be able to cling on to that and have a ha- a massive joy in our heart as a result in jesus name we pray